All right, let's pray. Father, we uh, ask that as we uh, look at an amazing, amazing story, a a game-changing story in the life of the disciples, uh, help us to understand it. Help it, make it also hugely impactful for us. We know your word is true. We know that this story is true. We know that the remarkable details of the story, the people who show up and Jesus' glory shining from him, um, that that really happened and, and that it matters. And so help us as we wrestle with what that all means for us. I uh, pray for myself. You'd help me speak your words. I pray that uh, the, the cold that I'm feeling this morning wouldn't, wouldn't hamper anything from being spoken that you would have to be shared. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's true. I do have a cold. Um, I am medicated. It's daylight savings. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. So uh, would you turn to Matthew chapter 17? Preaching at the beginning. Someone's going to show up late and wonder what happened. I don't know. Matthew 17. If you're just joining us, we're looking at Peter's life uh, and looking at his life as a lead-in to Good Friday and Easter Sunday and, and just kind of examining him. So we just did Matthew 16 last week, and it was on uh, self-denial, uh, carrying your cross. And then uh, at the end of chapter 16, Jesus ends with some interesting words. He says this, uh, Truly I tell you, Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, that's interesting, and I think that provides the transition point for the story that we're about to look at today, where they go up the mountain and Jesus is shining in his glory. Um, I believe this passage, I, I don't think that Jesus was shining, and I don't think Moses and Elijah showed up for Jesus' benefit. I don't think it was all like, Jesus, just in case you didn't realize who you were, I'm going to make you shine now, and, and you're going to see Moses. I, I don't think Jesus needed to know that. I think he knew it. He was the Son of God. He knew who he was. I believe it was for the benefit of Peter, James, and John, who were with him on the mountain, to see it. I think that's why it happened the way it did. And that's why he predicted it in the verse before. So what I want to do is I want to look at this passage, and I want to look at it through the lens of, what does this tell us about Jesus? I, I think one thing that's been coming up in Peter's life is Jesus' identity is a thing that's in process for the disciples. Like, who is this man that walks on the water? Who, who is this man that can calm the storm in the sea? Who, and, and, and they're getting a picture of who he is. The transfiguration is Peter, James, and John seeing who he is. And, and, and so I want to look at this story and, and kind of throw some things out about who Jesus is as we go. So we'll look at a verse, stop for a second and think, what would you know about Jesus based on that verse? What would that tell you about him? You can write these down, but a lot of them are going to be like, no-brainer, I know that, I've been in the church. Maybe for some of you there'll be something new, uh, but, but follow along. Let, let's look at it. So there's a prediction in verse 27 of chapter, verse 28 of chapter 16, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here 
will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he says, some of you are not going to die before you see me coming in my kingdom. And, And there's a lot of different ways to understand that. I think the easiest way to understand it is, He's predicting the transfiguration. He's predicting that moment where he shines in all of his glory and they see him at the mountain. He's predicting what's to come. So, so let's say this about Jesus right away. You can learn from the story that, number one, Jesus is coming back. I mean, part of this whole thing is the disciples are with him on the mountain. He starts shining and, and they see him and it says he shines like the sun, you know, in all of its brightness. And, and I think the idea here is he's going to come back like that too. Jesus is coming back in glory, and, and we're going to see him. This is a preview. I, I, don't, I don't know if you like previews in movies. I, I kind of like am too, I have two feelings about them. If it's a movie that I'm looking forward to seeing, I love watching the previews because it gets me excited. They're making the movie. I see the preview. On the other hand, if they show too much in the preview, if you feel like you've seen the whole movie after three minutes of a preview, you know, you're kind of like, oh. What a letdown. I think I felt all the plot points out right there, you know, on the screen. Too much. So, so I'm kind of like of a, a, a two, a two feelings on this, but, but the transfiguration is, is a preview of Jesus coming back. It, it's a pre, it's like, this is who I am. And one day everyone's going to see me like this in all of my glory, but I'm giving you a taste of it now. I'm letting you see it now. Okay? So verse 28, I think, is a prediction of, I'm coming back in my kingdom. Some of you are going to taste it a little early, though, even before you die. Okay, so uh, chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. This is where the, this is where the shining and the glory happen. Uh, that there, they take three of them. As you know, Peter, James, and John are kind of in the inner circle of Jesus. He's got 12 disciples, but there's three that he's, he's closer with and, and see more, and, and he takes them up. This is interesting because um, in the book of Exodus, we have, uh, you don't have to write this down if you don't want to, but Exodus 24, 16, and 18, when, when, when Moses was, was going to go up the mountain to meet with the Lord, Mount Sinai, he spent six days preparing to go up there to be with the Lord. Moses spent six days in the Old Testament before he went to the mountain to meet Yahweh, to meet God. And so we see Jesus and the disciples, he makes a prediction. Six days later, there's the revelation. Six days to prepare to experience God. And where do they experience God? They experience him on a mountain because, biblically speaking, mountains are where you go to meet with the Lord. That, that's just Mount Sinai. Uh, you, you think of uh, Mount Carmel with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Mountains are where things happen with the Lord. And, and so after six days, they go up the mountain. And, and, and they don't know what's happening, but you kind of get a little like, yeah, something's about to happen here. Uh, verse 2. There he was transfigured before him. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Now the word transfigure... Uh, means literally, it, it's the word we get metamorphosis from. It's like metamorpho. Um, it's a change. That's, that's what it means. It means he changed. He showed them who he really is, which means number two, Jesus' glory is veiled by human flesh. In other words, the, the shining that happened, and in verse three, I think that the 
the explanation. I'm sorry, verse 2. Uh, his clothes became white as light. Mark, Mark says they were bleached so white, it's like no one could bleach clothes like that. And you think about his face shining like the sun. I remember being out uh, when I was a kid and there was an eclipse and in the, in the school class went outside to look at it. Don't worry, we had little visors, you know, we could wear and, and we could look at the eclipse. And, uh, I mean, that, that's bright. You need, you need protective eyewear to look at that thing. Um, and, and they said Jesus was like that. I mean, he, he was that bright. He shined like that. You might remember Moses met with the Lord in the mountain, and his face was like glowing when he came down from the mountain just from being with the Lord. The glory shines. It, it's bright. And, and all the disciples can say is it was kind of like the sun. It was kind of like the sun. So I, I, I can see him kind of like, like this, you know, and, and, and trying to look, and, and, and they're trying to see, but it's so, so bright, which tells us that when, when Jesus, the Son of God, took on a body, the body kind of veiled the glory. It kind of put a, a covering on the flashlight. It, 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 it stopped it from shining forth as much. That's what his flesh did. It tells us something about Jesus, that he is the, the, the radiance of the glory of God. But, but, but his glory was veiled. Three, verse three, just then there appeared with them Moses and Elijah uh, talking with Jesus. Um, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Uh, Moses and Elijah, they're like the uh, people who represent the law. That's a Moses, you know, Ten Commandments. And the prophets, that's Elijah. He's one of the great prophets in the Old Testament. And so you have these two guys show up. And, and, I, and I love how the video, the video made me think about this. You know, like, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah, right? You know? Um, what do you think? Like, like, how would they have known? Well, that looks just like Moses. I just got the picture right here, right? You know, <laughs> you know how would they know? Or the beard, it, you know. <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> I love the way, the way they handle it in the video. Like, how'd you know? Well, it was, it, um, but... I imagine this, you know, in my imagination, I see Jesus saying, t- greeting them, you know, Shalom, Moses. I-, I-, I could see that, or if it was in Hebrew, you know, Moshe, you know, it- it- I-, I could hear him saying that to them, and they'd be like, well, yeah, Moses and Elijah, Jesus just greeted them. I- if two people arrive, of course you're going to greet them. Of course you're going to say hello. That's how I imagine it going. So they show up. What, what is the meaning of this? What's the significance of it? Well, number four, I'd say the law and the prophets testify about Jesus. The law and the prophets tell us who he is. So if you're reading the Old Testament and you're not thinking about Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Okay? If you're reading the Old Testament and you're not thinking about Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Because all that stuff is testifying about Jesus who's coming. And when he arrives, he fulfills so much of the Old Testament. There's a couple places I'll show you today just so you get a taste of that a little bit. But the Law and the Prophets, Moses and Elijah testify about Jesus. They were looking forward to Jesus. Their ministry was getting people ready for the Messiah who was coming. You could also say, number five, he was a prophet like Moses. He's a prophet like Moses. Um, so 
Jesus, uh, it doesn't tell us in Matthew this, but I believe it's either Mark or Luke where it actually tells you what they're talking about. It says Jesus talks with Elijah and Moses, and it's like, what are they talking about? It says he, he's talking about the, the exodus. He's talking about um, the, his departure, his leaving. So he is a prophet like Moses in that he leads the exodus of people. Um, you know how Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And eventually they had to go. The plagues happened and, and the people could leave. See, what Jesus does is he leads people out of slavery to sin. When Jesus says, let my people go, it's because he doesn't want you to be enslaved to your sin anymore. There's an exodus happening. Jesus is a prophet like Moses. He leads people out. Okay, next verse. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, they, they get a good laugh out of it in the video, and I think that's pretty good to look at it that way because other, other gospels say Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Like, he, he didn't know. Like, he was just trying to figure out, like, what, what do you say? And Peter's a spokesperson, and what do you say in that moment? Um, I think in cross-training, one of my questions is, what would you say if you were up there? What would you say? That's a good question. If you had to say something, what would it be? He says, let's build tents. Uh, not a bad idea. There's a, there's a couple different ways you can look at this. Uh, you could look at it as uh, the Jewish people have a feast of tabernacles, a feast of booths, wh- wh- where they live in tents to commemorate their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and how God provided for them. So maybe Peter was saying, um, let's build some booths and kind of like celebrate this moment right now, you know, just to stay here. I kind of think... I think I kind of lean towards another way of looking at it where, you know how in, in Moses' day there was a tabernacle, there was a tent in the wilderness, and there was a holy place and the holy of holies, and there was the Ark of the Covenant in that part of the tent, and you couldn't just go in there. If you touched the Ark, you'd die. Um, I kind of think he was trying to celebrate this holy moment and say, can we just set things up here and then people could visit you and, and that these are like some holy tents. And that's just... That's just how he tried to work it out in his own mind. God is here. Moses met with the Lord in the tent, and, and, and we, we can meet here in the tent with these people. Maybe. I think it's interesting. One of the other gospel writers says that when Peter said this, it was right as they were leaving. So maybe it was like, you know, don't, don't go. You know, don't, please, don't go. We can, we can set up tents. You can stay here. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But he was, he was searching for some way to respond to what was happening right in that moment. And, and that's what he said. Let's, let's set up some tents. In the second part of my sermon, I want to look at like what we do when we experience things uh, of the Lord and, and like what do we do? What do we say? Um, okay. So uh, where are we at? Let's, so here's the voice. Number, verse 5. When he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So, so the Father speaks, which again is evidence of the Trinity, the Father speaking to the Son and, and, and the disciples and saying, this is my Son, I'm well pleased, listen to him. So number six, you can learn from the transfiguration that Jesus is the beloved Son of God. He is the Son of God. I'd also lead you quickly to number seven, 
Um, he's the suffering servant in Isaiah. If, if you look at Isaiah 42.1, I'll read it, or you can look at it. Isaiah 42.1. Um, check this out. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. So um, when it talks about God delighting in his servant, that's out of Isaiah. He, he delights in him. In fact, Luke says, I believe, that God says, this is my chosen one, which is clearly a reference to Isaiah. So he, he's a suffering servant. Disciples don't understand that yet. They, they don't get the whole suffering part yet. They're still figuring that out. That's not clear to them. We could also say number eight, based on this word from the Lord, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. That's Psalm 2-7. You want to see that one? Psalm 2-7. We'll get there. Psalm 2-7 says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you're my son. Today I have become your father. This is a messianic psalm about the Lord ruling over the nations. And so God is saying, my son's going to do that. My son's going to rule. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so there's an echo of the psalms there when, when God talks in that moment. Now, uh, what else do you want to do here? We'll do a couple more verses. <clears throat> so, um, verse 5. While they were still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. I'm sorry, verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the high mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then did the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah's already come and they didn't recognize him. But they've done to him everything they wish. In the same way, the Son of Man is willing to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So they're trying to figure this whole experience out. And Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody. And they're thinking and they're saying, well, we've always heard that Elijah comes and then the Messiah comes. And Jesus is like, that's absolutely right. Elijah is just like John the Baptist. And they killed him. What do you think they're going to do to me? I'll be like that. They're going to kill me too. And so they're, try, they're trying to work all this out. But number nine, let's say this. This is, this is good. Um, number nine, Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. That's the last one we'll do here. Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. And, you know, I, was, I watched the video, and it'd be really exciting to see Moses and Elijah. But I think at the center of it is Jesus and his glory shining out. I think that's the point. I think the point is when the father says, listen to him, this is my son, listen to him, they've got Moses there and Elijah there. These guys talked a lot for God. You know, Moses wrote stuff. Elijah spoke. But listen to Jesus? What about listen to Moses? How about listen to Elijah? These guys are big guys. You know, they're important guys. But the father says, no, listen to my son. He's the one. And when Moses and Elijah go back, Jesus is still there. Jesus is the great one. They're talking with Jesus. You know when Moses was um, when Moses was uh, thinking about wanting to see the Lord, he said, "Show me your glory." And God says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna cause my glory to pass by, but you can't handle it. I'm gonna put you in this cleft of the rock, and I'll let you see the back of my glory." Um, 
in a sense, this is a fulfillment of that request. Moses saying, show me everything. Show me who you are. And in that moment, he saw Jesus and everything he was. You know, there's a sense where this is a fulfillment of uh, on-earth experience of God's glory. But clearly, Jesus is the glorious one. He's the one. He's the center of this. Now, sometimes, sometimes you and I have experiences of God that we would call, I, I would call them glorious. I, I would say they're unique. They're, 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 they're different from other times in our life. They're, they're mountaintop experiences. Uh, I read uh, one time that D.L. Moody had one of these experiences. Do, do we have the quote? Otherwise, I'm going to read it. Yeah. This is D.L. Moody, uh, the great evangelist and uh, founder of Moody Bible Institute. Uh, God bless that school. Um, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. In other words, Moody experienced God in New York in such a powerful way that he was like, I can't take it. It's like, it's too much. He, he, he just, like, please, you've got to stop. And it, it was so powerful and so profound. And I think he said at one point he thought he might die. It was such a powerful experience. And then later he reflected on it and said, um, I kept preaching like I always do. They were the same sermons, but God started to do very powerful, powerful things. And I saw hundreds being converted at my preaching. And he's like, I, I didn't change what I said, but God was moving in a very powerful way. And I think most of us, we'd love to have an experience like that. Maybe not one where you felt like you were going to die, it was so powerful, but, but we'd like to experience the Lord in, in some sort of mountaintop way. And for some of you, you've had those experiences. I've had an experience like that. What I want to do now is I want to ask um, Dan Holst to come up and share one of his experiences with you. So you can kind of get a a feel for what, what I'm talking about this morning. Dan, would you come up now? Dan loves public speaking. He, he's really good at it. Um, he said he had no nerves last night about this. All right, that's all a lie. But um, he's going to do great. Now we're on a court again. I'm going to put you right there.
check out some trails up on this mountain. So I got on my, my ATV and I drove for about an hour. It took me an hour to get up to the top of this mountain. And um, when I finally got over the top of the mountain, this is what I saw. I was so overwhelmed. I uh, got off my ATV and I just started praying. It was Shortly, uh, every time I, I went out there, this place, the first place I went, I went up there and prayed every morning before breakfast. I got up there and, and prayed. And one day, our pastor, my my last church, he left, his family left. And I didn't feel like that was the place for me. I had prayed for Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Some of you have stories where God just met with you. Maybe you're in a certain a special place, like, like Dan, top of the mountain, looking down, going through grief, and in that moment, like God just, he's there with you, and you experience something something that helps you, something glorious, something bright. Um, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, for me, one of those mountaintop experiences was, you know, will I ever see this again in my life? You know, I, I've shared with many of you the story of, of the revival that broke out when I was a junior in high school, Christian school, and, and we, would, we were just, instead of going after chapel, instead of going back to class, we'd just keep worshiping and worshiping, and there was more preaching, and there was all of these teenagers getting right with God and confessing sin and coming to the front and giving testimony and getting saved. And it's like, you know, you're getting saved. You're confessing sin. We're, we're, we're just worshiping and worshiping and not tired of it. And, and it was just amazing. And I've never been through that again. That's the that's one time in my life where I've seen God move in a large group of people to respond powerfully right in that moment. Sometimes God just shows up and does these amazing things. And, and, and those are those remarkable points in our life. I think sometimes we're tempted to react in a negative way to that. And I want, I want to talk about some of the negative ways before I get to the good stuff. Um, what are some negative ways people respond? Um, we could put the words up there. Uh, some people are jealous. They're jealous. Uh, that is, how come you get to experience that and I don't? That's the feeling. Why did the Lord show himself to you in that way and not to me? Why do you get the mountaintop experience and I don't? 
We ought, we ought not do that, to, to be jealous of how the Lord reveals himself to somebody else. Other people have more of a denial uh, of this whole thing, like God doesn't do this anymore. He doesn't give us experiences. That does not happen. We're in a different age. Um, I don't think that's helpful. I don't think it makes sense of how the Lord does reveal himself to people in some pretty miraculous, supernatural ways. Um, thirdly, there's judgment. Uh, some people have had these experiences with the Lord and they think everybody else should have them. And if you don't have them, you must not be as spiritual as them. Or sometimes they go into churches and they, uh, maybe they're used to a certain style of worship and, and that just makes them feel close to the Lord, that, that, that style of worship. And so they say, if you don't do that like I'm used to, you must not be, your church must not be very glorious. You, know, you, must, not be very, you must not experience God like we do at our, this church over here. And there's a judgment. Rich Mullins has, uh, he has this famous line. I don't know if it's helpful. It's kind of cynical, but it's interesting to me. Um, he, he, you know, Rich Mullins is a famous songwriter. He wrote their song, Awesome God. Uh, died in a car crash years ago. Um, but he famously said one time he was doing like a worship concert and someone came up to him afterwards and said, oh, there was that point in that song where I could just feel the Holy Spirit. And Rich Mullins said, actually, that's where the kick drum kicked in. You know, right there. It was right there. <laughs> Take the bucket of cold water and just dumped it on it, you know. And to me, that's a little cynical, you know. But it, it does remind me that my emotions are connected sometimes to musical instruments or how it's played, you know. The organ. Some people respond to the organ. Some people respond to drums. We, we just have these reactions, and, and God can work in those reactions. There's a mystery in all that, how that all works out, but it's true. We're kind of subjective people. It, we it just kind of, let's not be judgmental if someone else's experience is different than ours. Uh, fourthly, I think there's disappointment sometimes. Uh, some people are disappointed because um, they have this mountaintop experience, but then they have to walk down off the mountain. You know, uh, in a chapter or two in Matthew, Peter's going to have to pay his taxes. You're going to have to pay your taxes next month, you know. And if you haven't done it yet, it doesn't matter how much singing you do in here, you still got to pay your taxes. And, and, and if you have an amazing worship time coming up here, you still got to go to work tomorrow. It, it's it's got to happen. And, and sometimes we get so disappointed because we can't live at the mountain. God didn't design you to live at the mountain in this life. The next life you get the Lord in fullness. In this life you get tastes. Don't be disappointed in the Lord because of that. Fifthly, uh, there's pride. Uh, I had an experience he didn't give you. That must mean I'm more spiritual. No, not really. It's all grace. As far as I'm concerned, it's grace from beginning to end. Paul said he had an experience where he was caught up into heaven. and, and he, But then later he says, to keep me from becoming prideful because of these surpassing revelations, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Don't get prideful. You're not better than anybody else here. Just because you had a mountaintop experience, you're not better. How should we react? I want to take a couple minutes at the end here and give you some biblical ways you ought to respond. Uh, I'll give you six of them, and they're in your notes so you can fill in the blanks. I think this is important. You know, how to... How do we look at experiencing God in this life? What is that about? Uh, number one, 
we should long for the coming of Christ to set up his glorious kingdom. That's the whole point. This is a preview, people. It's a preview. To see Jesus shining in his glory is just like I'm giving you a taste of what's going to happen later. It's just a preview. It's not the full movie. You should long for the full movie. You should long for Jesus to come back and shine in his glory and show himself to everybody. That's the moment we're all waiting for. The taste that you get in this life aren't going to compare to that. That's the point. Um, make sure you're longing for the right thing. Because some of you just want more tastes. Some of you want the full meal. And it's coming. It's coming. Number two, we should be open to experiencing God's glory. You know, some people, they're in the denial camp. There are people in my family like that. Um, I would just say, would you be open to experiencing God's glory. Jesus said, some of you disciples won't taste death before you uh, see the Son of Man in this way. What if he says that to you? What if he wants you to experience it just a little bit? Are you open to receiving it? I think you ought to be. He wanted Peter, James, and John to experience it, even though it was terrifying. He wanted them to experience it. What if he wants you to experience something? Number three, uh, we should be thrilled when God reveals his glory to others. We should be thrilled. In other words, if someone comes to you and says, I just had this amazing moment where I experienced the Lord, and it's like nothing, I felt like it was so strong, like D.L. Moody. I felt like I was going to die. His love was so powerful. I was on my knees, and you're like, I've never had anything like that happen to me. But isn't it awesome that that's the way God is? that he reveals himself like that to people. Isn't that God? He would do that for you? That is the heart of love for the Lord and other people. If God reveals himself, awesome. Isn't that just like Jesus to do that for you? Luke 24 is the passage I've given on here. You could read this later if you want. But um, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he didn't show himself immediately to the apostles. Who did he show himself to? The ladies, the women, Mary. He, he revealed himself to the women, and then the women went back and told the disciples. They, they were told, go back and tell them, I've risen from the dead. They were the witnesses on Resurrection Day. And uh, a lot of the disciples were like, you know, yeah, right. You know, uh, Peter, you know what Peter did? Remember what Peter does? He runs to the tomb. And it says he's amazed. That's the word. With amazement, he looks in to the empty tomb. Peter, he gets it. He didn't get to see it that time, like the transfiguration. But he heard about it, and he believed it. And you've got to wonder if he made some connections here. Oh, my goodness. They really did see him like I saw him, except now this is after death, and all the pieces are coming together. Peter believed the testimony of the ladies who saw Jesus. He ran to the tomb. You should be thrilled if God shows himself to somebody else. You should be stand back in awe and wonder if that's what he does. You should have a selfless heart in this whole thing. Number four, you should remember that after the experience ends, we, you, we still have Jesus. Don't be disappointed. You don't get to live on top of the mountain. It's true. But when Moses and Elijah left, it says they looked up and they saw Jesus still there. 
when your glorious experience ends and you come down off the mountain, you're not walking down the mountain alone. Okay? I don't know what God did to show himself to you, but just so you know, he lives inside you. The Holy Spirit, it's called the Spirit of Christ, lives in you. You walk down off the mountain, you still have Jesus. He never left. Number five. We should tell people about the glorious experience that you have. Tell people. Jesus says, don't tell them until after I rise from the dead. I think there's good reasons for that. Uh, I think if people would have heard that the disciples saw Jesus in his glory, they probably would have tried to crown him king, and he's the Messiah, and, and, and they would have tried to avoid the cross. But the cross is coming. Don't tell anybody until after the Son of Man rises from the dead. Tell people. Tell people what God did. Tell them humbly what God did. Not making a big deal out of you, but a big deal out of what he did. Tell people. That, that's, that's very biblical. Tell people what you saw. And number six, finally, lastly, we should trust and obey Jesus' word. Now you might say, where in the world does that point come in? Uh, Peter's reflecting on this thing. Uh, you ought to look there. Turn to Second Peter 1. You ought to see this. Second Peter 1, very end of your, towards the end of your Bible, before the Johns. Second Peter 1. 16. This is Peter. Think, reflecting on his time with Jesus on the mountain, now that he can tell everybody. I still think he shouldn't have told Andrew yet, though. Wait, that was just a video. That was just a video. <laughs> I'm kind of guessing he didn't tell anybody until after. <clears throat> All right. Second uh, Peter 1, 16. <clears throat> Peter says, for we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, <clears throat> This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven. We were with him on the sacred mountain. <clears throat> okay, so that's a transfiguration. He's just telling the story again. 19. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. The prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's like... I got an experience on the mountaintop. You got the word of God. You see what he's saying there? I got to see Jesus in his glory. You get the glory of his word. This is sure. This is certain. This is even more certain. This, this is a, a foundation for you. Now you say, Peter, why is it that when you think about the transfiguration, you think about the Bible? Why do you connect those two things? Do you know why? There's a hint in the story, the transfiguration story. Why is it when Peter thinks about Jesus shining in his glory, the next thing he thinks is Bible? Do you know? I don't think he's just making this up to make a good point in his letter. I think there's a definite, solid reason why he thinks Bible after he thinks Jesus shining in his glory. What is... The Father's voice say. 
This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Let's pray. Worship team.